The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to The Chris and Joe Show on Big Blue View Radio, your go-to source for New York Giants analysis. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet. Airs it out down the field. It is caught by Welcome back into another episode of the Chris and Joe Show. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum. We are presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View Radio. We are your analysis team here for covering the New York Giants, breaking down everything you need to know. We are in the throes of training camp, meaning there are going to be tons of headlines coming from not only the Giants, but teams possibly related to the Giants, as well as the very first scrimmage we had this past Friday. Today's episode, we're going to talk about a key injury as well as a player being released that could be on uh, the NFC East radar for some other teams, as well as breaking down that Friday scrimmage and the key takeaways that we know from it without actually getting to see it, but all the things that were reported on and talked about from that scrimmage. Chris, the first thing, and it is a huge blow for this Giants team, one that I think not a lot of fans truly understand the level of impact this has. If you're a listener of this show, you know how much we talk about special teams and how important it is. Well, Cody Core, the key returning core special teamer, wide receiver, backup receiver, was placed on the IR because of a torn Achilles on Wednesday. Now, this was a few days ago, but this is still relevant news for our show because losing Cody Core is huge for this Giants team because you're losing out on a guy that has, since this past season, been a a gunner on punt, been a key contributor on pretty much every single uh, wave of special teams, kickoff, kick return. They use him everywhere, and he has established himself as a leader on special teams. Now the Giants aren't going to have that guy, and there's going to be a lot of issues dealing with that and trying to find somebody to possibly replace him. Yeah, and we noted it during the season that when the Giants brought Cody Core onto their team, you know, as they were filling out their roster after a spate of injuries, that he made an immediate impact on their special teams. You think back, there were several plays where he was the first guy down the field and would make a great play to down the ball and really help out the Giants' defense by pinning the opposing offense back a few times, right, almost right on their goal line, and having that it. You keep hearing the t- the term hidden yardage, but that's really what it is. You know, forcing 
the opposing offense to drive 90, 95 yards instead of 75 if that ball had gotten past him and had a touchback. That is really big for the defense. It helps to limit the opposing offenses. Really, it really limits their options at what kinds of plays they can call. And this is a loss for the Giants, even though, you know, if you see Cody core on offense, something has gone wrong, but still he is an important player for, for this team. And as we say, almost every week, special teams are important. That's a part of football too. Right. And it's super easy just to say, oh, it's uh, the, the fifth receiver on this roster. Was he actually going to contribute on offense? How much of an impact does this actually have? Well, when you have someone who is a leader and a good player on special teams, losing that person for the season can have rippling effects, not just because you're losing out on someone who is going to be very consistent on special teams and you know can always get their job done, but when you have a veteran player who is very, very good on special teams and is a leader on special teams, their role goes past just their responsibilities on the field. It could possibly be making sure everyone is in the right place at the right time. Not just the you know a, a personal protector's job is to do that. If someone is a veteran on a roster, they're going to be making sure that the rookies that are out there are lined up properly so that there's no penalties. They're, they have the right assignment lined up and they know who they're picking up or who's picking them up so that there is not any lack of responsibility on these plays. Having everything being cohesive is so key for special teams working well and essentially going unnoticed. That's what you want with special teams is going unnoticed. A lot of that is going to go with good chemistry and it starts from the top down. Now Nate Ebner seems to be that that top guy now for special teams, even though he is a newcomer to this roster. I think that it's somewhat safe to say that without core, it could help solidify Ebner's role on this roster. Yeah, it it wouldn't be a surprise to see Ebner kind of assume that mantle of leadership. The other one will probably be Graham Gano, who we will get to in a minute. But yeah, have having those core specialists, the guys who might not make an impact on offense or defense, but are consistent, they're where they need to be, and they make plays on special teams. Those guys are just very important. Giants fans can think back to how many games have pivoted either one way or the other, either for the good or for the, um, for the tragic in ways we prefer not to remember how many games have pivoted on special teams and having those guys like Ebner, like Cody core, uh, going back a little ways, uh, Mark Herzlick, Spencer Pacinger, chase Blackburn guys who show up on special teams, having them is important and missing them really does hurt a team on offense and on defense. Right, it's going to be very, very difficult for the Giants to move on from losing out on a player like this. Hopefully there are no major bumps on special teams without core on the field. Hopefully some of these rookies could step up and play very, very well in replacement of core. The next headline that we want to tackle here, Sunday 
morning. News broke that the Ravens were looking to move on from Earl Thomas, possibly trying to trade him. They moved even quicker in saying, we're just going to release him. So Earl Thomas, the former All-Pro, All-Talented Safety, um, very good season last year with the Ravens, is now on the open market. Well, you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with the New York Giants? Well, the Giants probably aren't going to be interested in Thomas. However, all three other teams in the NFC East that the Giants have to play twice a year are all probably going to be interested in Earl Thomas. If you require, if you remember back when Jamal Adams was on the market to be traded, the two big names that were brought up were two very safety needy teams being the Eagles and being the Dallas Cowboys. Now that Jamal Adams has already been traded and there is another good, talented safety in the mix to be brought onto a roster, the Eagles and the Cowboys are yet again going to be brought in this conversation, especially back when a few years ago when Earl Thomas was pushing to be traded from Seattle, a big name that was brought up was the Dallas Cowboys. So now we have to consider is... This is something that, one, we should be worried about. How likely is it that Earl Thomas ends up with one of these NFC East teams? I would say it, it, the NFC East is pretty much the odds-on favorite for him to be a – for eh, odds-on favorite to be his landing spot. Yep. NFL insiders, uh, Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, they're already – singling out the Dallas Cowboys as a very likely landing spot for Thomas. They had them as potential trade partners with Baltimore. That obviously didn't materialize, but Thomas went to the University of Texas. He is from Texas. He wanted to be a cowboy before. I have a feeling it will be up to other teams to more or less convince him to not go to Dallas. And Dallas obviously is safety hungry. They need to reinforce their secondary. They lost Byron Jones to free agency. But the other NFC East teams have that need as well. The Eagles traded for Darius Slay, but they still have work to do in the secondary. They lost Malcolm Jenkins. And really, their secondary has been bad over the last couple years, which has really kind of held back what is a good defensive front. In fact, that's kind of true of all three other teams in the NFC East. They all have good defensive fronts, but they have all kind of been held back by their coverage. Uh, in Washington, they spent a, mu- a bunch of money to bring Landon Collins in, and he paid immediate dividends as a run defender. Sharp football analysis rated him the best run defender in the NFL last year. And Giants fans know how good he is close to the line of scrimmage as a box safety, but he isn't a deep coverage guy. You can't drop him into single high coverage and really expect much of anything good to happen. However, that is Earl Thomas's strength. That pretty much is his game, just being that center fielder. And I think all three teams could use him, though Dallas is obviously the favorite. Considering all three of these teams are available options for Earl Thomas, I would consider it pretty likely that Thomas could end up in the NFC East. Now, we could get thrown a curveball like with Jamal Adams. I don't think many people expected him to end up with the Seattle Seahawks, but he did because of the lucrative deal that was presented to the Jets by them. Now that Thomas is a free agent, he can make that decision. You have to remember that Earl Thomas 
played at Texas. I believe he is from Texas. So his decision is probably going to be weighing in on looking for a team near his home that he can choose to go play for. Besides that, though, he's going to want to look for a team that he knows can contend. When he was a free agent leaving the Seahawks and decided to head to the Baltimore Ravens, that was a decision because he thought that they could contend with him in the secondary, and they were able to do exactly that in the few seasons that he was there. Now that he's gone, he's going to try and do that same exact thing. All of these veteran players that have been very dominant and used to winning, they're going to want to seek out opportunities to win as quickly as possible. The Cowboys are in a great position, especially after they signed Everson Griffin. The Eagles are still a very good roster, but have so many holes in their secondary that they would desperately be willing to add someone like Earl Thomas. The Redskins are not, or the Washington football team, sorry, are, are not. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep doing that for the next month, I swear. <laughs> at, at least until they come up with, you know, a new team name. Well, I, I still say San Diego, so I feel like once they even do come up with a new nickname, I'm just going to keep saying it. I, I got it, it, it's, it's bound to happen that we'll make that mistake once or twice, but the Washington football team is not in as uh, as much of a opportunity to, to contend as the other two teams, but they're still in the mix if they're willing to pay him a, a decent one-year deal or a couple-year deal to get that huge boost in the secondary. But Chris, the one thing I just kind of want to acknowledge here is I don't know if the Giants should be as worried about him playing in the NFC East as we might assume. Thomas is still a very good safety, but we did see some issues with him towards the end of last season. He was not playing at the same level as he was as his time when he was with the Legion of Boom. That's understandable. He is getting older. He is going to naturally regress. You almost wonder if... Right now, if you're going to get that that top-level safety or if you're just going to get an average to above-average free safety. I think his range is probably shrinking. He doesn't have that Ed Reed in his prime range where you can just take away the entire deep area of the field by himself. And age and injuries are definitely starting to catch up with him. You could see a very definite uh break in his production right around 2015, 2016, when he broke his leg. And you know, since 2015, he hasn't played a complete season. Last year was his most complete season playing 15 out of 16 games. And he did start to get back to his previous production. You know, he actually got sacks for the first time in his career playing in the Baltimore defense, as opposed to the Seattle defense. He had a forced fumble, two interceptions, four passes defensed, which for him is all a little bit on the low side, but it is still appreciable production. You know, even an average free safety would be an upgrade for any of those defenses, and it would help to open up their playbooks. And I think with just the caliber of player that Earl Thomas has been, the kind of football IQ he has, the fact that he has seen everything he has played the position at the highest possible level. I think you more or less have to assume that whatever team gets him is getting the all pro Earl Thomas. And okay, maybe he doesn't have that same elite range that he had four or five years ago. You still don't want to get careless with him in the defensive secondary. For the second half of today's show, we are going to discuss the major headlines coming out of Friday's scrimmage. 
Before we get to that, though, we're just going to take a really short commercial break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So Friday, we actually had some inter-squad scrimmage. We have something to react to. It was the first look, glimpse into what the Giants, this Giants team is going to look like in 2020. It was the first team-on-team action with no preseason games that we'll get to talk about. Now, this one, this game was not viewable to the public we did have uh, Ed there to to see the scrimmage, so the the information that we're going off of is the stuff that he reported on and he, and he wrote about from being there for this this training camp scrimmage. Now it's worth noting that there will be some games aired uh, in a few weeks. Some of these scrimmages the day after that they're played. We'll talk about that at the end. The first headline that I was really interested in, Chris, was that Darnay Holmes had a pick and also played a ton in the slot and played very, very well. To go along with that, Grant Haley did not have such a great day. Now, if you remember, a lot of draft pundits and even Deion Sanders weighed in on saying that Darnay Holmes was going to be a huge steal for this giant secondary. He is already seemingly paying dividends, even though it is a first scrimmage in training camp, it seems like he's doing very, very well, making it a pretty positive sign for the rookie to possibly start at, at slot corner. Yeah, you know, I I don't think his path to starting at slot was really all that contested because we've seen Grant Haley kind of fail to, st- fail to take that step forward we thought he might. Haley is a good tackling defensive back, but he he leaves something to be desired as a cover corner, particularly out of the slot. So really, if Darnay Holmes can show that he offers more coverage upside, that's going to start to earn more looks, especially with the starters from the coaches. And you know, the more opportunities he has, the more opportunities he has to impress. And there's a real chance that that could snowball and he could really get a chokehold on that on that starting job and what we were talking about before the show if you, if you consider what we have with Darnay Holmes now is a good performance in the first scrimmage and the way this would work if there were preseason games there aren't the way this will work in this case is if you do well in this first squad scrimmage 
you'll earn yourself some more reps. And that path could lead to a starting role. I think at the very least, we'll see a lot of him uh, in some type of rotational situation with varying packages. But Darnay Holmes being a possible gem for this Giants draft class could be very, very huge being a a fourth-round draft pick. The other headline that, that really caught my eye was there was not a lot of pressure coming from the defensive line and pass rush. Apparently, the offensive line looked very good. They were slowing down the defensive line. This begs the question now, is this good blocking? Is the offensive line getting a lot better? Or is the pass rush just really, really bad right now? I think part of it is it's camp. You know, the the defense is probably still finding its groove within the new scheme. They're probably staying pretty vanilla. They're not game planning to beat the Giants offense. And for the offensive line, blocking is kind of blocking, if that makes any sense. But I'm I want to wait until we can get to see it for ourselves to see really see how the edge rushers look because you know, last year this basically this same unit really struggled to get pressure without having to dial up exotic blitz schemes and send extra rushers and work really hard to generate one-on-one matchups particularly for Marcus Golden so i kind of lean on lean on the side of I think it might be say more about the edge rushers than it does about the offensive line. But like I said, this is camp. This is the first time they've really gone against each other. We don't want to be drawing conclusions from this, especially when it's basically all hearsay. What I drew to with this in my time as a college football player at the division one level, I always remembered every all four years the offensive line always looked better than it actually was and protected the quarterback way better than it was. And the secondary always performed a lot better than it actually was. There was always a lot of open rushing lanes. There weren't a lot of guys that were coming in and tagging the quarterback. Um, And the secondary was always able to, to get a lot more tips and interceptions than you typically would see during the regular season quarterbacks would also struggle a little bit more just for whatever reason. So I attribute this to being how camp is the pass rushers and defensive line. were probably a little bit gassed and worn out towards the end of the week. That's typically what happens when you have squad style scrimmages go on. Um, The offensive line is always going to look better than they actually are. But like you said, Chris, I don't want to draw too much from this. I actually do. I'm looking forward to seeing the first scrimmage that is viewable to the public then I will be able to provide more of a look into this. But the fact that there was not a lot of pressure, I wouldn't give any benefit of the doubt to one or the other. I think it is a testament to the offensive line improving and maybe the defensive line just not figuring out their identity at the moment. Yeah, and I I also always do kind of wonder how much the fact that they can't hit the quarterback. So, you know, they can't really pin their ears back and get after the quarterback on a third and long like they would in a game situation where they're looking to put the other guy in the, on the ground. You know, they if they screw up and actually tackle Daniel Jones, they're probably going to be doing more than just running a lap. So, you know, I, I have to wonder how hard they're actually 
getting after their pass rushes. Not not to say that they're loafing it, but it's almost like if they're playing at like maybe 80% speed because they know they're going to have to pull up at the last second anyway. And, you know, you can't change physics. I don't care how good of an athlete you are. <laughs> right. And what you'll usually get is half of the guys or maybe a quarter of the guys will always t- treat every rep like it's the Super Bowl and go balls to the wall every single rep. And then you will get those guys, like you just said, who not loafing it, but they'll go through their set and their technique. And once they think that they, they're in a position to beat the guy, they'll just kind of slow up and finish out the rep. They're not really going to go after the quarterback. It's just a mental thing. It is a little bit of a mix of the mentalities that are out there and on the field. So there's a lot of things that come into play here that it's not as cut and dry as is the offensive line better, is the pass rush struggling. The other offensive line note that I really want to talk about here is that apparently Nick Gates took a lot of the reps at center, like a significant amount of the reps at center. And the right tackle competition is looking more so like it's just Fleming and Parrott. So this is a pretty promising sign for Nick Gates, who has been a a, a gem for this Giants offensive line, who might very well be the starting center for this, this Giants team. Yeah, obviously there's still two more scrimmages to go, lots of practices. But what we have heard from uh, from the Giants coaches, from uh, Mark Colombo, from Jason Garrett, and from Daniel Jones is how much work Gates is getting at center, and just how much how good he is looking in that role. You know, we haven't really heard much of anything about him at right tackle, which I think kind of suggests that the Giants, at least right now, really are looking at Gates more as a center than as a right tackle prospect or a future right tackle. We pretty much came to the conclusion when he signed his extension that he was going to be starting somewhere. It looks like they're kind of uh, leaning, the Giants are at least hoping that would be at center, which I can understand because Spencer Pulley is a fine backup. You know, he's the type of veteran backup you want in the middle of an offensive line. He can help a young center out. He knows the position inside and out. He know he has the mental aspect of the game down. He is just physically, he doesn't really have that starting ability. If the Giants think Gates does, it makes sense that they would Give him the give him the opportunity to fail, really, at center before going back to a position they have more or less seen that he can play at an acceptable level in right tackle. Chris, the the one thing I was really excited to see from the notes on this scrimmage was that Graham Gano, the new kicker, went six for six throughout this scrimmage. And you could chalk that up to saying this is just a practice situation. This is the closest thing a kicker is going to get to live bullets until we get to week one of the season. So to have a guy come in in a week already feel comfortable enough to go six for six is just a true testament to how professional Graham Gano is and how we should be confident that Gano is going to do well this season. I know that's a, a pretty knee-jerk reaction, but if you come in less than a week of time, first scrimmage, go six for six, not having an established chemistry with Casey Kreider, your snapper, and Riley Dixon, your holder, 
that's pretty damn good to me. That's pretty good that you're you're able to to be able to do that right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something we had been, I don't want to say worrying about, but at least considering that, you know, he might not come in and be great right away. Well, it turns out that that isn't a worry. And having a consistent kicker, obviously, we are the special teams show. Out of every Giants podcast, we are the one to come to if you if you have questions about special teams. And we know and we talk a lot about how important it is to have that consistent kicker. And if Gano can be consistent, if he can be accurate from outside of chip shot range, that is a weapon for this team where they can make sure they come away from a drive that, you know, maybe it stalls outside of the red zone. They can at least come come away with some points. Exactly. And it's worth noting here for Giants fans and also for us because we get to see some live stuff. There will be available airings of the next two scrimmages. So on August 29th at 6 p.m. and it's uh, September 4th at 7 p.m., there will be live airings of these scrimmages. It will be a, a or not live rather, sorry. It is going to be a, a, a day delay in when the scrimmages are played. So you'll get to watch and see how the Giants are doing, how practice looks, how they look in a game type situation. We're going to be very closely watching this. I'm going to be excited if if I can't maybe catch the whole thing. I'm definitely going to record it so I can see all of it um, because it's been so long, Chris, since we've been able to actually sit down and watch some game tape of of recent and current Giants um, playing. Yeah, I, I have a feeling we will probably wind up, uh, at the very least, practicing our day-after breakdowns on this. Right, and I, I think that's probably the, the, the smart way to um, to go about it. We will be using that as our, our first lead into how the schedule is going to look during the season um, with these scrimmages going on. No, you're, you're okay. Um, well, folks, that is it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to hit that subscribe button if you enjoy tuning in. And also leave us a review and let us know what you think of the show. Also, follow us on social media. You can follow me at Joe DeLeon. You can follow Chris at Raptor MKII. And you can also follow our main page at Big Blue View on Twitter and Instagram. Also, go to BigBlueView.com to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the New York Giants. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. 
it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.